Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you for joining me for another edition of Unbashful. This is episode 32, I believe, and we are going to kick start this podcast with the first headliner being my review for Elvis. Now, if you haven't seen already, I did do an out-of-theater reaction for the film, so I'm pretty much going to echo a lot of the thoughts that I had. I'm going to discuss if my thoughts have changed since I've seen the film, since I've had a little bit more time to kind of digest it, and uh, talk about the film in greater detail. Now, first things first, I love this film. This is one of my favorite movies of the year. I would say it's probably my second favorite movie of the year, just behind the Batman. To be quite frank, I don't know if there's going to be another film this year that's going to take the throne at number one and, and, and dethrone the Batman. The Batman, for me, was just such a special film. You know, obvi- you know I love the character, obviously. Um, he's, one, he's my favorite superhero of all time, and I think that the direction and the interpretation that Matt Reeves brought was unlike anything we've ever seen with that character. But anyways, that's irrelevant. That has nothing to do with Elvis. Let's get back to Elvis. I'm a huge fan of biopics. I love Rocketman. I love Bohemian Rhapsody. I think they're incredible films. And once I heard that this film was coming, about probably three, three years ago, I heard that Austin Butler was going to be portraying Elvis. You know, I'm not very familiar with his work. The only film that I've seen Austin Butler in is uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He had a supporting role, um, a very important role in the story, I might add. But I, I enjoyed him. He played the, the text character. He's one of Charles Manson's disciples. He's one of the, the people that in, invade uh, Cliff Booth's house at the end of the film. And basically the whole that whole climax scene where everybody gets fucked up. And uh, the one the one girl gets burnt to a crisp, <laughs> but I liked him in that film, and I you know I've been curious to see, you know what else we could see from him, and you know, like I said, I'm very unfamiliar with his filmography, but I believe now correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that this is his first lead role in a feature film, and I was on board as soon as I saw the trailer. I think he's. He's got the dialect down because Elvis very much has a has a very um, significant accent. Like it's, it's very recognizable. Like you you hear his voice, you know it's Elvis. Um, obviously, he moves a very certain way. I think Austin Butler certainly had the movement down, the dialect, and everything else. And he's discussed in interviews how he didn't want to make it seem. Like he was doing an impersonation of Elvis, which is inherently that's the struggle as an actor. You don't, especially when you're portraying a real person, is you don't want to seem like you're. You want to try your best at least, because in you know in reality you are. It is an impersonation, but you don't want it to seem like it's an impersonation. You want it to come across as authentic. You want it. You want it to come across as real as possible. And when I was watching this film, I. I always knew that I, I wasn't watching Elvis, but I was so pulled in and I was so immersed in the story and in Austin Butler's performance that by the end of the film, they showed act, like they showed like footage of actual, you know, Elvis Presley. And I almost had to remind myself that, wow, 
like, that's the real Elvis, and I watched an interpretation of him. So getting back to my point of what I was saying in the beginning, Austin Butler really put the work in for this role. He discussed how he obsessed about it for two years. It was nothing but him doing his research, as I mentioned, getting the dialect down. I'm sure he probably had a dialect coach that he worked with, getting the movement down, everything. And he explained how the first tape he made to send to Baz Luhrmann, basically as an audition, he was pretty apprehensive about it because he felt like it was just, he watched it and he felt this is just an impersonation. This isn't, this, um, this isn't Elvis. Now, whether that's true or not, I mean, we'll never know until we actually see that. And to be fair, you know, he's probably his biggest critic. I think a lot of people can relate to that, especially if you're trying to do something in the arts, in the creative medium, right? You, nobody will, will put you down harder than yourself. So that, you know, some of that could have had something to do with it. Um, but whatever his strategy was, it worked. Because he explained how in that process of getting the part, there never really was like one audition. Like he didn't go into a room and Baz Luhrmann and the casting director were like, okay, yeah, yeah, do this, yeah. Okay, thank you, we'll, we'll call you. It was apparently a very long pros- process of collaboration is what they've described it as, as if he already had the part. And then eventually it obviously led up to him getting the part. And what I find pretty interesting was... I was doing some research, and along with Austin Butler, some of the other candidates, the frontrunners right behind him to play the character of Elvis was Miles Teller and Harry Styles. Now, with Harry Styles, the thing is, he is already such a star in and of himself, and Baz Luhrmann even discusses this as well. He's al- like Harry Styles is already an icon. So I think as an audience member, unless he gave the performance of a lifetime, it would be very, very hard for you know for the general audience to separate them to separate seeing Harry Styles and him and, and, and seeing Elvis it'd be hard to make that kind of dif- differentiation right because you're seeing this this guy who's already a singer in that art and he's already a musician it's hard to kind of differentiate that but I do think though with Harry Styles I actually think that he's a pretty underrated actor um, when I first saw him in Dunkirk a very short role. I think that was his feature film debut. And I really enjoyed him in Dunkirk for the little amount that we saw. Um, and then he's he was in Eternals, which that shocked me. Because um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, um, active on the internet. And I'm, I'm, I'm always keeping myself up to date with, you know, the newest leaks and, and casting reports for a lot of the Marvel projects. And I never heard once about Harry Styles in the Eternals. So when that happened... But that was very surprising. So I'm curious to see him in that. I'm very excited to see him in Olivia Wilde's uh, next film, Don't Worry Darling. He's going to be co-starring along with Florence Pugh. And uh, a laundry list of fantastic actors and actresses in that film. Uh, Who's the one guy in there from uh, Chris Pine? Yep, Chris Pine, Gemma Chan, incredible cast. Olivia Wilde is also starring in the film as well. Um... So yeah, but as much as I am a fan of Harry Styles and you know his his rise as an actor, uh, I don't think that would have been the right choice for this role. Uh, that's just my opinion. Now with Miles Teller, however, 
That's pretty interesting because his career, he certainly had a resurgence, I think. You know, while Fantastic Four was a flop and overall was a, a pretty bad film, let's just call it what it is, you know, I didn't mind his, his portrayal as Reed Richards. And, you know, call me crazy, but this won't happen, obviously, but I would not even mind to see him come back to play Reed. Because I'll be honest, I don't think John Krasinski is coming back as Reed Richards. Anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. I'm all over the place. Let's get back to my Elvis review. With Miles Teller, he certainly could have pulled off the look. I, I don't doubt he could have pulled off the dialect. He's, he's a very talented actor. I'm sure he's got the work ethic. So I think it would have been pretty interesting. You know, in another world, in another lifetime... I'd be curious to see Miles Teller play Elvis. Um, I certainly think he could have done a pretty good job. And, you know, going back to Harry Styles, even with the look, he certainly could have pulled off the look, like the visuals, you know, the hair, everything like that. And he's pretty young as well. All three of those actors, Austin Butler, Miles Teller, uh, Harry Styles, are all young enough to play the role. But like I said, I just don't think it would be pretty hard for audiences to separate Harry Styles from Elvis. But back to Austin Butler. He gave the best performance of his career so far. And like I said, I haven't seen really any of his films aside from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So for me saying that, you know, take it as it is, I guess, because I'm pretty unfamiliar with his work. But that doesn't take away from how amazing his performance was as Elvis. I loved it. I loved every second of it. Now, the story isn't really played from his perspective. It's mostly, like, the story is mostly told, the narrative is mostly told through his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, which is Tom Hanks' character. Well, I'll get into it in a minute. Um, but right now, I would probably say that Austin Butler's performance is my pick for best actor. Now, I don't think he'll win it because we still have half a year left, pretty much. Little over half a year left. And there's a lot of really good movies coming out for the rest of the year. So that remains to be seen. But this is around the time, though. Like, this is the perfect time to get his name in that kind of conversation because the thing about the Oscars is if you release a film too early... It's likely not going to win any awards unless it's, you know, uh, you know, not a home run. And if you release a film too late at the end of the year, that also hurts a, a film's chance from getting Oscar recognition. Now, it has been done before. Don't get me wrong. Like The Godfather is an example of that. That came out pretty, pretty late in that, in that schedule, that calendar year, for the Oscars. So it certainly is possible. Um, but I think Elvis, it, it came out. Did it? came out in June. So it's in that prime time to get that real kind of Oscar buzz. I mean, inherently, this film is very much an Oscar bait film. You know, the Academy loves um, the Academy loves biopic films. Obviously, Bohemian Rhapsody won Best Picture. And and uh, I, I don't know if it won Best Picture, but I, I'm, I know that Rami Malek won Best Actor as uh, Freddie Mercury, which he did a fantastic job 
Um, but where are we here? Yeah. So right now, Austin Butler is my pick to win Best Actor. And uh, until I until I see otherwise, I'm sticking with him as my pick. And when I was discussing the schedule just now, you know, films are releasing too early or too late. That's why I've been saying that as much as I enjoyed everything, everywhere, all at once, I don't think it's going to win Best Picture. It could get nominated. I wouldn't be surprised. But Best Picture, I'm not entirely sure. And uh, it could win, you know, I think if, if it's going to win any awards, I think it's most likely to win Best Original Screenplay. Um, but as I mentioned, we still have half a year left. And there's lots of other great movies coming out, original films like Babylon um, Amsterdam, so, we'll have to wait, um, now let's go to Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks played, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Colonel Tom Parker, who is, who was Elvis's manager, who very much took advantage of him, he took advantage of him, but he also, objectively, contributed to some of the success of Elvis's career, he gave him many opportunities that he probably wouldn't have been able to get otherwise, but he also took advantage of him. And they I, they express in the film how Colonel Tom Parker, he ate up almost 50% of Elvis's revenue. Now, usually in the industry, I, obviously we're at a different time, but usually agents will take about 20% of whatever you make. Now, that's not 50%. That's a lot less. Now, 50% half of the money he's made, that's fucking crazy. And we see, we, we, we've seen before, there are a lot of evil people in Hollywood. Now, I don't know as, I, I, I don't know if I'm willing to call Colonel Tom Parker evil, but he certainly wasn't a good person. And I wouldn't want him representing me if I was, you know, if I was in Elvis's shoes. But there are, there are, there's a lot of evil people in Hollywood that prey on naive innocent people that are trying to make it in show business, whether you're trying to be a musician or you're trying to be an actor or whatever, if you're trying to be in entertainment. That's why people got to educate themselves and and uh, understand that not everybody is, is going to have your best interest in hand if they're trying to, you know, be in business with you. So, and that, that sort of happened with Elvis, but at the same time, you do have to recognize that Colonel Tom Parker did put Elvis in a lot of different opportunities, um, like I said, that he probably wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. Now, let's talk about the director, Baz Luhrmann. Um, I have not seen, I've only seen one film that he's directed, which I'll talk about in a moment, but I know he's directed films like Moulin Rouge, uh, Romeo and Juliet, so, and those films have a lot of critical acclaim, so he's definitely a talented director, and he very much has a certain style. Now, what do I mean by style? There's one film he's directed called The Great Gatsby. Now, for a long time, I never knew that he directed that film. And once I, once I saw the first trailers and all the marketing material for Elvis, um, it looked oddly familiar, right? And then I went back and I watched The Great Gatsby again. I've seen the film like 10 times. I could see a lot of parallels and I could see a lot of similarities in terms of, you know, the, the creative choices and, and the, you know, the exaggerated colors and um, the very, you know, frantic, fast-paced editing keeps you on the edge of your seat. And then I realized that, yes, in fact, The Great Gatsby is directed by Baz Luhrmann. And I was like, that makes so much sense. I could see so much of Baz 
in that film, The Great Gatsby, and I'm seeing a lot of that same kind of, like I said, artistic elements being translated into Elvis, which for me is not an issue. Now, I'm seeing a lot of the critics saying that that's, that's primarily their issue with the film is that the fast-paced editing, the sort of, there's a, you know, some people describe the film being almost like a music video, which I think is a little bit, uh, I don't agree with that personally. Um, I mean, there's music in the film. That, that's, that's when you're telling a story about a musician, inherently there's, there's going to be music in the film. I mean, if, if you went into an Elvis film not expecting to hear Elvis music, I don't know what film you think you were going to go watch, but um, that's besides the point. But And once I found that out, like, as I mentioned, it all just kind of makes sense. And the thing about The Great Gatsby is that's one of my favorite films that I've ever seen. Uh, I, I love it. And when I was in high school, I never watched the film in class, but when I was in high school, many of my other films in some of their English classes, they would always tell me, like, yeah, we watched the film, and, and, and uh, which is kind of funny because most of the time when you're in school and you watch a movie, you're usually just glad to not, that, you, that you're not doing any, anything academic, right? And usually the movies that are being played in class are usually pretty shit, you know, let's be honest. Um, but I, I love The Great Gatsby. I, I don't even know where I was going with that, to be honest. Um, and, you know, just to sort of give a little brief summary of The Great Gatsby, it's pretty much about a guy, Jay Gatsby. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to speak very vague because, you know, I don't want to spoil the film, even though it is pretty old at this point. I mean, you know, 10, 10 years old. I can't remember when it came out. It came out like 8 to 10 years ago. Um, it, it's, it's a love story. It's about a guy named Jay Gatsby who's trying to find his, you know, his, his, long, his long lost lover. Uh, he was in the war, and because of that, you know, he basically lost connection, and he hadn't he hadn't seen his, you know, his uh, his girl Daisy, and then she ended up, you know, moving on and, and living her own life and marrying another man, and then it's this whole story of him trying to basically inch his way back and and reconnect with her, and by meeting her her cousin, you know, and it, it just it all comes together. It, I always do a pretty shitty job of explaining the plots of movies. Like, I find I'll go back and I'll watch my podcast and I'll listen to the way I describe, like, a plot, like, just kind of summarizing it. And I always think, like, wow, I made that movie sound like shit. <laughs> so definitely don't put me on the marketing team if, uh, if you're trying to market a film because um, I do a brutal job of explaining the plots of, these, of, of a lot of the movies that I talk about on the podcast. But besides the point, not to get sidetracked, go watch The Great Gatsby. I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix. It's a really, really good film. Um, but as I mentioned, a lot of that style that I see in there, I very much see that those same kind of elements in Elvis. Um, but that's pretty much going to wrap up my review. I love the film, and I do want to see it again. Uh, actually, before I wrap up, I want to touch upon um, a couple more things, more specifically some of the reviews. A lot of people are saying that the film kind of skims over some periods of his life. And I can understand that, but I think something people need to understand is that at the end of the day, it is a movie. It's a, it's a two and a half hour movie, and you pretty much have to hit the bullet points if you're going to be telling someone's life story. You're not going to be able to tell every single detail at every single moment. That's usually done in like a series, right? Like take Winning Time, for example, documents the whole process of how the Lakers, the uh, the Showtime Lakers came to be. 
If you told that story in a film, you would likely miss, you'd likely have to sacrifice certain moments in that kind of development of that team. And certainly, yeah, you know, if you look at the film and you know, you know Elvis' story, sure, they, they, they do miss some things, but they, ex they, they document all the key parts of his career and his life. They show his early development when he was first starting out. They pretty much, in the film Elvis, they pretty much show the beginning of his career and the latter half of his career. They don't really show much of the middle. Like, they do, don't get me wrong, but the majority of the storytelling in this film is, as I mentioned, him when he's really young, like in the 50s, and then him in like the 70s. We don't really get much of the 60s. And for me, that's okay, because even if you look at Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man, as great as those films are, they do skim over certain periods of, you know, of the, their career and their trajectory, because, you know, they kind of have to, otherwise you'd have a four-hour film on your hands. Um, now, I really enjoyed Elvis, I don't know if I could sit through a four-hour cut, which is funny that I mentioned that, because Baz Luhrmann in an interview actually mentioned that he has a four-hour cut, uh, probably on some USB drive somewhere, but one does exist, and that's, I mean, that's not surprising. There's always really long cuts of films. I mean, obviously, we have the Snyder Cut, which is four hours long. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of my thoughts on a lot of the critics. Now, look, if, if you just didn't enjoy the film, you didn't enjoy the film, and that's totally fine. But I think for people talking about um, how they sort of didn't go over everything, I think that's it's hard to do that when you're telling a story within the confines of two and a half hours. It's, it's, it's challenging. Um, it can be done. But uh, I, th I think that sort of form of storytelling is much better off in, in, a, in a TV show or a limited series. But overall, I loved Elvis. It's my second favorite film of the year. If you've had the chance to see it, let me know what you think. Are you as high on it as I am or you were kind of mixed or did you not enjoy the film altogether? Let me know in the comments below. So for the next headliner, we're going to be discussing... John Krasinski and the role of Reed Richards. Now, spoiler alert if you haven't seen Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but I feel like most people at this point have seen it. We we got John Krasinski as Reed Richards in The Arrest of the Illuminati, so that was great to see. Now, as soon as we got that, of course, us fans wanted to immediately know, is that just like a one-off? Is that just something to please the fans, a little bit of fan service? Or are we going to see... John Krasinski return as the 616 version, you know, the, the main Reed Richards moving forward in the MCU, because we do know that a Fantastic Four reboot is well on the way. It's very much in pre-production. I'm sure they've, I think they have a director for that film, and I think they're saving that announcement for Comic-Con, but the conversation has mostly revolved around Reed Richards. I haven't really heard people speculating on who's going to play the thing, who's going to play, you know, the Human Torch, an Invisible Woman. I, most of the conversation has been around John Krasinski. Now, leading up to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, most people knew that John Krasinski was going to be in the film. But even before that, there has been this demand for him to play that character for years. And I'm one of these people that I enjoy his short portrayal as a character 
and I wouldn't be against him playing the character. I think he would do a great job. But I, I'm not I'm not of this camp that believes that like he is the only actor on the face of the earth that can play Reed Richards. In fact, I think, and I have a list here that I'll name off in a sec. I think there's several actors out there that can do a great job, if not a better job, than John Krasinski can do. And it's not like John Krasinski is, you know, on his knees praying to get this role. He's doing very fine in Hollywood. He's, he's a critically acclaimed director with A Quiet Place. And, of course, he's, he's a fantastic actor. And I want to be clear. I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm not a fan of him playing Reed Richards. If, if they announce at Comic-Con in a couple weeks that... He's Reed Richards, and he signed a nine-picture deal, and he's going to be playing it for the next 20 years. I would be on board. I would think, great, I'm, I'm excited. So I don't want to sound or come across as a hater, you know, of sorts. Absolutely not. But I just don't think that he's the only actor that can play the character and do the character justice because that character has not had his due, you know, like... He, he, that character, not just the character, but the Fantastic Four, they've been due for their justice. And what do I mean by that? I, you know, I, I, like we've, we haven't really had a good interpretation of Fantastic Four. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, I mentioned earlier when I was talking about Miles Teller, that Fantastic Four film was pretty bad. Um, and I was never really a film of the early 2000s film, like of the early 2000s, uh, uh, Fantastic Four films with um, Chris Evans as, as a Human Torch. Um, so, here are some actors that, besides John Krasinski, that I could certainly see playing Reed Richards. And these actors are... They're well-known, but I wouldn't say they're, like, in that conversation of, like, that A-plus list with DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Joaquin Phoenix. They're not in that category, but they're certainly not, like, unknown. And, you know, one of these actors here, maybe two, one of these actors at least has certainly, uh, I think he was nominated for an Oscar, but I, I could be wrong. But anyways, let's get into it. First things first, I got Jamie Dornan. Jamie Dornan, of course, was in the Fifty Shades films, which I never saw. Um, but I saw him in Belfast, and I really enjoyed that film. I'm a sucker for black and white films. Um, and I thought his performance in that was great. And I think... I. I don't know if he got nominated for an Oscar, but I'm almost positive that the film itself was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, moving on, Josh Hartnett, who's probably, out of the three actors I have on this list, I'd say he's probably the least known uh, to general audiences. I know who Josh Hartnett is, and I'm very excited to see him. Uh, he was cast to play in Oppenheimer in a supporting role. Uh, I'm a fan of him. I think he's a good actor, and I think we're slowly starting to see his name come up more and more. I think he's starting to have a little bit of a resurgence in Hollywood. I think he's the right age. I think he's a good enough actor, and like I said, out of these three, I'll talk about the next actor in a sec. He's kind of a little bit more unknown compared to these three, and we know that Marvel has a track record of, of hiring actors that you know aren't necessarily mainstream and, and you know don't have a long list of, you know, work experience, right? Look at Tom Holland, for example. He had been in films before, before playing Spider-Man. Um, he did that one film as a kid with Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman called The Impossible. It's a, it's a film about the tsunami. Um, I think that's based off a true story, and he was very, very young in that, and he's done some other things as well, but n the general public wasn't entirely familiar on 
who Tom Holland was, and now look at Tom Holland. He's he's a, he's a star, right? We've seen him in many other films, like uh, he did Cherry, he did Uncharted. Obviously, he's still doing Spider Man. So, I think that Josh Hartnett could be a name. Now, will that happen? Probably not. Will any of these three actors be cast as the role? Probably not. But this is just... I think it's fun to speculate on it. I think it's fun, you know, conversation to have on a podcast. Now, the final name is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Once again, right age. He's got the look down. And arguably, out of the three, I would probably say Jamie Dornan is probably the best actor out of the three. But you could certainly make a case that Josh Harden... Or... um, that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the best actor that I just named out of these three. But all three of them are fantastic, and I think they would do a, a, a pretty good job uh, playing Reed Richards. So, let me know what you guys think. You know, there's other obvious actors you could point to to play Reed Richards. You know, I've heard a lot of people say uh, Killian Murphy. Killian Murphy's name has been, has been kind of in the rumor mill for Marvel for several years now. And there's actually... Uh, there's a lot of... This, talk you know around the trades that he could be playing Doctor Doom which I think would be pretty interesting uh in like a solo Doctor Doom project in fact not to get sidetracked here but I think I should actually talk about this Howard Stern believe it or not yes the guy the radio guy one of the best podcaster radio you know people whatever you whatever you want to, one of the best people in that business he he was off air, but his mic was still on recently. And he was talking about, oh, I got this Doctor Doom thing I'm doing soon. So whether that's legit or not, but he did actually say that. So like that that's real. That's not even like a rumor. He did say that. And uh, people, you know, have been discussing like, you know, how how serious was he being? I mean, I don't think he would just bring up as like a joke, like, oh, I'm doing a Doctor Doom project. First of all, a Doctor Doom solo project. Like, that's such a specific thing. I don't think he was lying about that. Um, and I also don't think that that was accidental at the same time. I think he very much knew that the mics were still on. And almost like a, you know, like a, a, a pretty creative way to market and kind of tease things that come from Marvel. And I'm sure we'll hear about things like that at San Diego Comic Con. But getting back to the topic at hand. To sort of round up this headliner, I would like to see John Krasinski play Reed Richards, but I don't think he's the only person that has to or that can play the character. But let me know what you guys think. Are you one of the people that think, I only want to see John Krasinski play Reed Richards, and if anybody else plays him, I'm not watching the film. I think that's kind of a ridiculous uh, approach to you know to, uh, to to watching a film, but if, that's, if you share that love for John Krasinski and him p- potentially playing the character full-time moving forward, then I respect it. And let me know in the comments below. So I talked on my last podcast uh, how Kevin Feige recently did an interview, and he he said, quote, or not quote, but I'm going to paraphrase. He basically said that us Marvel fans can expect some pretty big announcements coming in the coming months that will tease the direction of where the MCU is going. Because there's been a lot of questions and there's been a lot of complaints that the MCU has no direction, nothing's connected, Phase 4 is a mess, it's all full of... One-offs and filler. One, I don't think that's bullshit. I, I think people are just jumping the gun way too quick. If you go back to phase one, that was pretty much what the MCU... Like, what, what the MCU was establishing in phase one. Establishing new characters. Introducing new IPs. 
IPs that people ha had never seen before. Captain America, Iron Man, laying the groundwork. Then they eventually built up to the Avengers. Then they built up to the whole Infinity Saga, and obviously the rest is history. I think we're sort of seeing that. Not the exact same kind of formula, but we're, we're seeing... We're seeing elements of that repeated, right? We're getting new characters, new IPs. They're introducing new stories. And even so, we're still seeing that things are connected. They talked about incursions, which is a... Excuse me. They talked about incursions in Multiverse of Madness, which that's a word that inherently has ties to Secret Wars. So I, I think the clues have already been presented to us. So, um, But Kevin Feige said that those announcements are coming in the coming months. And when he said that... I thought he was just referring to D23, which is Disney's big event that they do usually around the end of the year, around September, October, and they did it last year, and they announced a lot of different movies and a lot of different Disney Plus shows like Agatha, Harkness, Ironheart, things of that nature, and I thought that was, I thought that's the event that he was referring to, because at that point, um, kept, or Marvel had no plans to attend Comic-Con this year. Shortly after that announcement... After I did that podcast, the reports came through that it's official that Marvel will, in fact, be at this year's Hall H San Diego Comic-Con. And that's incredibly significant because the last Comic-Con panel that they did was back in before the pandemic in 2019, the year Endgame came out. And that's that panel where they announced Phase 4 and all the other films, obviously the films that we've already seen, like Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, the new Thor that's coming out. Spider-Man No Way Home. So that was the last time we saw Marvel host a panel at Comic-Con. So you have to think that if they're coming back, they're probably coming back with some pretty big announcements. So pretty much everything that I speculated on in regards to what they'll show at D23, you can pretty much expect those same kind of announcements to happen at San Diego Comic-Con. So now that we know that they have D23, which is going to be in September, and now they are going to be at Comic-Con, what I think what will probably happen is that we'll get the big movie announcements. We're not going to get a Phase 5, you know, uh, slate yet. We're, we're, we're still... we still got a, quite a few films left to go in Phase 4, but I think we're going to get... I think we're still going to get some, like, things like Fantastic Four, Deadpool 3, and so on. Maybe even some X-Men stuff. I think we're going to get those movie announcements at this Comic-Con, and then I think we're going to get the Disney Plus announcements at D or, or at, uh, yeah, yeah, at D23. Um, but let me know if you guys are looking forward to that. I'm pretty excited for that, and that, that's even closer than we think. I think that's this month. That's July. That's when we're getting Comic-Con, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, you know, there's been rumblings, as I mentioned earlier, about this, you know, Doctor Doom project that's potentially uh, in the works. Might even hear something about that. Um, I, I imagine we'll probably hear about Captain America 4 with, uh, with uh, who's the actor um, that plays him? Sam, Sam, Sam something. An or Anthony Mackie, but Anthony Mackie plays Sam Wilson in, uh, in, he will, in Fal Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, but let me know if you guys are excited for this. Speculate down in the comments. Let me know what you think will be announced. You know, who knows? Maybe some Disney Plus shows will be announced along with some movies and stuff. But uh, let me know what you guys think in the comments below. So let's uh, cap off the episode here. We're talking a little bit of some NBA free agency. Uh, I didn't think I was going to be discussing this because before all this chaos has started with Katie's, you know, trade requests and players opting out of their deals and signing elsewhere... Some players opting into their deals like Kyrie, which was kind of a surprise. 
I thought it was going to be a pretty relatively tamed free agency. I knew there was guys like Zach Levine potentially, uh, you know, who could potentially move elsewhere. But other than that, like I knew Brad Beal was going to resign. So like that didn't surprise me. Um, but I thought it was going to be a pretty underwhelming free agency. And I probably wasn't even going to talk about it. But in lieu of all the craziness that's been happening, um, let's let's talk about it. So I... I came up with a list here of all the different trades and you know free agency signings and people opting out of their deals and so on. I'm going to go through each one and kind of share my thoughts. I didn't go through every single signing like I, I didn't like I didn't put Dejounte Murray on my list here. I just I, I'm going to talk about kind of like the the main ones that people are talking about. Uh, I touched on it briefly a couple seconds ago, but let's talk about Brad Beal. Um, I'm not surprised that he signed and really the only reason why I'm not surprised is the money. (laughs) The cap continues to rise each year in the NBA. Um, Everybody freaked out two years ago when Giannis signed the $200 million uh, five-year extension with the Bucks. And while that's obviously generational wealth, it's still, it's still amazing money. Now you have Bradley Beal, 251 five-year extension. $251 $251 million five-year extension. Now, I mean, obviously I'm happy for anybody that gets their bag, but when you hear about people, an athlete making that much money, it kind of makes you feel a little bit depressed because you're like, what? <laughs> I'm making nothing, you know? Like, why should I get out of bed in the morning? I'm joking, obviously. Um, but yeah, so he got the bag. Now, personally, would I have given him $251 million? If I'm the general manager of Washington, I probably wouldn't. Um, I think he's a fantastic player, but what does he have to show for Washington thus far? Now, you could also play devil's advocate and say, what does the front office have to show Bradley Beal so far? Or, or what what? What have they showed him so far in terms of supporting him with a, you know, a good collection of talent around him? So, you know, you could play devil's advocate and say that as well. But I mean, you know, they're in the Eastern Conference. You know, there's obviously the Eastern Conference isn't as uh, weak as it used to be. And it never was weak. It's NBA players at the end of the day. But a lot of people would always say like it's, it's a huge, you know, difference between the West and the East. So... The East certainly has gotten better, but I mean, I feel, I never expected them to be championship contenders through the years that we've seen Bradley Beal kind of be the uh, the lead star of the Wizards, but I, I feel like that ceiling, unless they get another star player like a Kevin Durant, um, like a James Harden, like a Joel Embiid, like a LeBron, that will never happen, of course, um, I don't know what they're going to really be able to do to support him with a, a good enough cast of players around him to actually kind of make an impact and possibly push for a championship in the Eastern Conference. I, I just don't see it. And furthermore, by Bradley Beal signing this extension for all that money, it's going to make it's going to make it even harder now for the front office to actually put enough talent around him because talent isn't cheap obviously if you want good players it's gonna it's gonna cost you some money so by Bradley Beal signing a 251 million dollar extension it's actually digging 
an even deeper hole for the franchise to get out of financially. Because now you're really only going to be able to afford guys like, um, you know, pretty much just role players at the end of the day, like like a like a Contavious Caldwell Pope who actually plays for the Wizards. I'm that kind of player. Uh, actually, I think they just traded KCP. Um, you're really you're really not going to have any flexibility for a star for another star to coincide with Bradley Beal. Um, but as for Bradley Beal himself assigning the extension, that doesn't surprise me. I kind of figured he was going to do that because I knew he was eligible for the Supermax, so it only makes sense. I had a feeling he was going to sign that extension. Um, that's a lot of fucking money. That is a lot of money. That man is set. I think he was already set for the rest of his life. I know, I know he already was on a max deal with the Wizards. Uh, I think he signed that three-year extension three years ago. Or two years ago because the, the, he opted out. Yeah, it was he signed that extension for three years, two years ago with the player option on the third year. Then he opted out this offseason and then he re-signed for the longer deal. So that, so that means the, the, his new deal will not kick in till the following year. So not next year, but the year or Yeah, I believe so. I could be wrong about that. But yeah, overall, not really surprised about Bradley Beal resigning. Uh, and I still can't believe that's a lot of fucking money. But there's one player. There's one player on this list who many of you probably already know who, who signed for an even larger deal. We'll talk about him in a moment. Next, let's talk about the Kevin Durant trade request. Now, up until this trade request, Katie has never, he's never requested a trade. He's played out every contract that he's had so far. Um, and then out of nowhere, he requested a trade. And this was right after Kyrie just opted back in for his final year of his contract to return to the net. So we know that he's coming back unless, of course, he gets traded, which is probably really likely now that KD's requested a trade. Now, I'm curious if Kyrie knew this was coming when he was, you know, considering opting in. Because as soon as he opted in, everybody was under the assumption that, oh, okay, he opted in, the Nets are going to run it back and, you know, probably try and put some more talent, maybe change up the uh, the personnel around Kyrie and KD. So I'm curious to see if he knew, if he knew that KD, in fact, wanted out. Um, do I blame KD for requesting the trade? No, I don't because similar to the Wizards and Bradley Beal, I think we've seen that team that team can't get any better. It's actually almost the opposite of the Wizards. They had James Harden. They've had Kyrie. They've had Kevin Durant. Yeah, I understand that you know Kyrie hasn't played a lot of games due to injury and vaccination stuff, which I'm not going to talk about. But you've had the talent. There is no excuse why that team has not at least been to a finals. Like the fact... I still sometimes have to remind myself that they got swept in the first round. That's like it, it that still is crazy to think about. Like I, I it's wild. <laughs> so I think Kevin Durant has probably sat back and, and said, you know what? We ain't getting any better. <laughs> really. <laughs> They're not gonna get any better. Like and I'm sure probably the stuff with Kyrie has probably been pissing him off as well. So I think he just wants to be in, in an environment where I think the the main priority is just basketball, um, and the two teams that are that that he's requested to go to apparently through Woj and stuff like that is Phoenix and Miami. Now, obviously, the only way he's going to get to any team is through a trade. So, if we look at 
both of those teams, I think that there is actually potential for a trade to happen. Now, apparently, the Nets are asking for the farm. And absolutely, Katie's still in his prime. He's still a, a top three player in the NBA. Um, we're, we're probably going to see the biggest trade in history get pulled off. Like, you know, let's just play some hypotheticals here. Um, I think we'll start with Phoenix. I If Phoenix is going to do a trade, first of all, Phoenix has to figure out what they're going to do with DeAndre Ayton because he's up for an extension. I believe they're going to extend him. Um, but I think what will probably happen is because 100% they're, the Nets are going to ask for DeAndre Ayton. I'm sure they'll probably even try and push for Devin Booker, even though he just signed an extension, which I'll talk about. That won't happen. Uh, I'm... I think Devin Booker is pretty much untouchable. And, and I would assume Chris Paul as well. I think the impact Chris Paul has had on that franchise, it's it's been a complete culture change. Uh, and they, they're they a winning team now. Obviously, they haven't won a championship, but they've done a lot more winning prior to CP's arrival. Um, so I think those two are obviously off the table, but I think you're going to have to include DeAndre Aiden. You're going to have to include Mikael Bridges. You're gonna probably have to include uh, what's their what's their really good shooter. He's tall. I think he's one of the forwards. Uh, Cameron Johnson, I think, is his name. You're gonna have to include him. Uh, I'm not sure what their draft what, what, what their draft picks are looking like, but uh, if they got any first round picks, you might as well kiss all of them goodbye. So that's kind of one scenario. Maybe I'm forgetting about some players they could add to that list, but off the top of my head, uh, I think that that's kind of, to me, what a deal would look like to get KD. Which, to be honest, that doesn't, even kind of saying it out loud, that doesn't really sound, it sounds like there's some better deals out there. So the last thing I want to talk about here, and I know I was about to get into it, but my camera died as I, as I mentioned it was about to. Um, contracts, NBA contracts. Now, you know, I just talked about free agency and players signing these deals and that deals, but the thing that really the only thing about the NBA, because it's a fantastic league, it's a fantastic structure, business, whatever you want to call it. The thing that bothers me the most though, I feel like out of all sports, now granted, you know, I don't really watch, you know, many other sports, but I kind of pay attention from afar, but NBA is obviously the main sport that I watch. The thing that bothers me the most about the NBA is contracts and players not fulfilling these deals. Like for example, Bradley Beal, I just talked about him. He just signed for five years. Even Jokic, they just signed for five years, both of them. How much do you want to bet two years into that deal, they're going to request a trade? That's literally how the NBA has been these last five years. These guys signing crazy deals and they leave after like two years. Like it happening with KD. Now KD's different. I can kind of understand that, but it, it really kind of pisses me off to see these guys signing these crazy fucking deals, and they're only really playing two years of their deal with the respective team that they signed the contract with. It's like I want to see guys just stick it out and play through their contracts and then leave. Like certain circumstances obviously are warranted, um, but that's something that kind of bothers me. Like pretty much all an NBA contract, like. All an NBA contract really says is that you will be playing in the NBA for this amount of years for this amount of money per salary per year. It's really not exclusive to an NBA team. An NBA team will sign a player, but it, it like really the, the power is in the player's hands. And sure, that, that's a good thing. Player empowerment, of course, has, 
has created players to, you know, create businesses and ventures outside of the NBA. We're seeing that with obviously LeBron, Draymond Green, Jimmy Butler's got his big face coffee brand. So player empowerment is a good thing, but when it, it exclusively pertains to the NBA, yeah, I'd like to see more and more players sign these deals and actually honor the contract rather than sign it almost like with one foot in, one foot out, knowing that they're going to be gone in a couple of years. They're basically just signing for the money and kind of, you know, rain checking it throughout, you know, the first two years of the deal. But that's kind of the last thing I wanted to go over. Um, let me know what you guys think. Do you agree with that? What do you think about the, the, you know, this chaotic NBA free agency? As I mentioned, it just started. There's much more to come. But let me know in the comments below. That's going to wrap up episode 32 of Unbashful. Um, I will be talking very soon about the black phone. I wanted to talk, I wanted to watch it and talk about it on this episode, but I just couldn't find the time. But this podcast is going to come out tonight, being uh, July 1st, Canada Day. Happy Canada Day if any of you are in Canada. And uh, I'm probably also going to see the movie tonight as well and uh, throw in an out of theater reaction on YouTube. So quite a lot of content coming. Um, thank you all for tuning in and I will see you on episode 33. Take care of yourselves. I wish you all good health, happiness, and everything in between.